For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. I'm so uh, pleased to be in this meditation space with all of you. Several of us have been uh, sitting here since early this morning, and we welcome those of you who just joined us on Zoom or in person. I'll just say it's an ongoing adjustment for me to think of our meditation space beyond the, the literal walls. <laughs> Uh, where I can see you and hear you breathing and uh, smell your presence in some way. So I'm, I'm still struggling to learn to appreciate the uh, games that this technology offers. I say that um, in case I make some mistake, and please speak up if I, if I somehow don't include people online. Um, and for my second apology... <laughs> I'm going to say that this is not going to be the Dharma talk that I announced about a month ago it would be. Um, I said I would be talking about Green Buddhism uh, based on uh, Stephanie Kaza's book of that title. Um, it's been one of those months uh, when life took me in unexpected directions. And uh, one of the outcomes has been, I'd call it a temporary dwindling of uh, my interest in matters of the intellect, like Dr. Kaza's um, brilliant book. So I I hope I'll do that talk another time. Uh, But instead, this talk is going to, it's going to go back to the the basics. Um, The three poisons, the four noble truths, um, these are these are teachings from this earliest um, sermons. So uh, recently, I was very sick. I had I had just returned from two weeks in Costa Rica. Uh, it was a wonderful trip, visiting national parks and primary forests, and seeing tropical birds and monkeys and sloths and bats and peccaries. <laughs> It was a trip with friends that had been scheduled for March of 2020. That was the month that uh, so many things changed suddenly. And uh, it had been postponed and rescheduled many times during the past two years. We've all experienced that with our plans being in flux for so long. I I think no Zen teacher, no no matter how brilliant, could have uh, dreamed up such a perfect way to help us uh, grasp impermanence and non-attachment. This pandemic is really, uh, it's affected all of us, no, no exception. So there, there were times uh, in the past two years when I thought I, had, I was losing connection with my meditation practice. Now, mind you, I... I been a pretty serious meditator for more than 25 years. So um, 
it's a little shocking to me that that was the case, but, but it was. Um, and then there were other times when I thought, oh, this is the best practice I've ever done. You know, I think both of those things were true or are true. Um, and I think it's worth thinking about because we're, we're kind of sliding back into normal or whatever the new normal um, is going to be. So maybe thinking about um, that set of experiences, um, maybe we can learn from that. So um, I'll just say the trip to Costa Rica was, it was truly wonderful, but um, in spite of vaccinations and precautions, five of the six of us travelers, all of us women well over 65 years old, uh, arrived back home feeling ill. And uh, we had tested negative the day before we left. That's the law to get into this country. But in fact, when we got back, we tested positive. And um, the next several days, week, 10 days, are still kind of a, a, a blur. I felt weaker and weaker, had a cough, fever, sore throat, aching joints, everything. I just slept. I slept 12 hours or more uh, at a stretch. And I made myself drink water, but I couldn't eat anything. It was a really odd state of mind. Uh, it wasn't entirely unpleasant. Um, I mean, there was something about it that was serene. <laughs> um, because the outside world felt really distant. And uh, except for my two cats, who really, you know, I've been gone for two weeks, so they wanted my attention. They seemed very real to me. Uh, but everything else seemed just uh, far away, I guess, is the... And to be honest, completely uninteresting. I mean, I just wasn't interested in it. Um, so I, I would wake up for a little bit, and then I, so, and I felt obliged to tell people what was going on. I live alone, so I texted my daughter. <clears throat> she was very upset. Her dad had had uh, a life-threatening case of COVID before we had vaccines, and he was hospitalized seriously ill, so she was understandably um, pretty upset. But I didn't feel like talking to anyone, so I put a post on Facebook saying, I have COVID, leave me alone, or something like that. It was friendlier than that. And then all these people kept offering things, and I just turned off my phone and... Uh, And I felt, the way I describe it now, I felt completely without desire. And, uh, you know, as I said, I just wanted to be alone. It was a powerful experience. I'm still thinking about it. Um, in some ways, I'm actually trying to get back to it. Because <laughs> it feels less real now, as I said, because, uh, you know, I'm sort of doing my normal activities. But I think what what it was most like of anything I'd experienced before um, 
was how it felt after long periods of meditation, like three days or five days or seven days. I've never, I've never spent months in a monastery, um, but uh, I used to quite frequently do these residential um, sessions of five days or seven days, and uh, I, I would come out of them feeling like scoured out. That's one way to think of it. It's hard to it's hard to say in words. Um, and I'll try to say a little bit more about um, what I mean about that. But it's it's a feeling of refreshment in some way. And then it didn't really usually last that long because you know you go back to work and <laughs> life and so forth. Uh, so it faded uh, pretty fast. Um, so we learn about the three poisons, and students learn about the three poisons. They're greed, anger, and delusion, or sometimes ignorance, delusion, sometimes called ignorance. So this was, this was uh, Buddha's sermon. I think it was called the fire sermon very early. I think it was his third sermon. Uh, greed, anger, and delusion, sort of these three negative qualities of the mind. And uh, arguably, these cause us a lot of our problems and a lot of the problems in the world. They're, they're universal human afflictions, and um, we should be aware of them as we seek to, uh, as we study ourselves. So one of my first Zen teachers explained to a group of us, Jerry might have been in that group actually, he said, these poisons aren't equal. Even if we're all susceptible to uh, all of them, every person has one particular uh, poison that they're most inclined to. And so he suggested that we figure out which, you know, which was our problem and the one we most needed to, to work on. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but uh, I wonder if people, you know, here or on the Zoom could, could answer that question easily. I've asked a lot of people this question over the years, and, and some people, they have a hard time deciding. Um, they think about it. They think, yeah, this one, like that one. And other people are really quick to decide. I instantly knew my poison. It took me no time at all. Uh, greed. Uh, I'm always looking, seeking, pushing, striving, adding, expecting, planning. And my greed is not about money. It's not about possessions or position. And it's it's not about lust in the in the usual sense of that word. But it. It's definitely grasping. Um, I always want it all. Um, I would describe it as a profound restlessness. I don't like it. You know, I have tinnitus, and tinnitus is this constant ringing in your ears. It never goes away. And this is the same way, this, this restlessness, this, that I'm calling greed. And it, it, and I wish it, I want it to go away just the way I wish the ringing in my ears would go away. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of energy involved in this. And, um, 
And the energy can be channeled. Um, and I, I have worked on it that way uh, for quite a few years, I think five years, uh, maybe even more. I was a pretty good Eno at uh, Ancient Dragon because that was the perfect job. I learned all the forms. <laughs> I tried to do them perfectly. I got other people to do them. You know, it was a really good channeling of this um, striving energy. So last month when I was in Costa Rica, just for an example, I was so thrilled by the number of bird species I added to my life list. If you don't know what a life list is, it's all the birds you've ever seen in your whole life. So in two weeks, I added 190 new bird species, which put my life total over 1,800. Wow, why is that important? Good question. <laughs> my answer is greed. <laughs> Birding seems to fuel my desire. It's not the only thing that does, but it's just an example. It's sort of like a non-toxic example. I'm not competing with others. I'm competing with myself. In, in January, I set a goal of seeing 300 species in Illinois in 2022. Why 300? Because in 2021, I saw 281. <laughs> I just wanted more. So uh, my, my daughter, who knows me well and has a great sense of humor, gave me a housewarming gift uh, when I moved a couple of years ago. In big letters, it says on one side, hard work. And on the other side, it says, work hard. And she said, I thought this was perfect for you. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Anyway, um, but when I was sick um, and I was lying in this dark room with my two little furry friends, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about this. I sort of released from it. I, I was aware of my breathing because it was hard to breathe, uh, but I was like stripped of this uh, striving energy. Uh, and. It was just okay. I, it, I felt unencumbered by it, uh, unencumbered by desire. And uh, like whatever would happen was fine. It was a great relief. I'm sure it's my ego subsiding into something much smaller. I actually had the conscious thought, maybe I can just go to sleep now and not wake up. Ever. And it, and it wasn't frightening. Uh, it was kind of soothing. <laughs> um, and now this is not a suicidal uh, urge. It's just like letting go of my opinions about my life. Uh, so I, I, I was content. I was neutral uh, about whatever was next. So so another way to describe what I felt relieved of uh, might be uh, dukkha. So for, for new people or for a reminder, so the Pali word dukkha, it's often translated as uh, suffering. And uh, the Four Noble Truths um, that Buddha gave us in his very first sermon after he was awakened um, gave us the Four Noble Truths. Uh, the first truth, uh, life is suffering. The second, it's caused by craving. 
The third, there's a way to end that suffering. And the fourth truth outlines the Eightfold Path. I'm not going to go into the Eightfold Path today. But but Dukkha's sort of more nuanced than suffering. Um, some people use the metaphor of a wheel not quite on its axle. So there's, there's stress there. Um, or a more literal translation might be unsatisfactoriness. But, uh, so I would say my dukkha is self-generated unsatisfactoriness expressed in, in, in greed. And this is not a new insight for me. This is quite the opposite. I've been struggling with this for decades. And, uh, and the closest I've come before to getting to the bottom of it always comes after some ordeal. So childbirth and new motherhood, it brought sort of deeper, fresher acceptance of feeling of well-being, I would, I would say. It's like a temporary reprieve. So I think, I think in a really direct way, this is why I was drawn to Zazen. I think, um, I think on some level I recognized it as the, the thing I needed that would be the antidote to my oh, dukkha, my suffering. My, uh, I, I think it's a little bit like a cat. You know, I didn't know that consciously, but I, I think it's like a cat looking around in the weeds. And this cat knows exactly which little herb is going to be the one that helps whatever its problem is. And I think when I found Zazen, I think I found that herb that was going to be the one that, that would help me. Although I confess, in my conscious mind at the time, I thought I was sitting there looking for uh, enlightenment. So in that way, I was striving, definitely. But I didn't really have much of a concept of what enlightenment was. Um, and, you know, I sort of, that whole idea kind of faded. Um, I loved and hated Sashin. Uh, it was an ordeal. You're sleep deprived, your knees hurt. Uh, and this scouring out is sometimes pleasant and sometimes not so pleasant. And, and it's, it's short-lived. So anyway, Tygen has a really sweet way of talking about Zazen. Um, he always says at the beginning of any long sitting, enjoy your breathing, enjoy your Zazen. And, uh, you know, whenever I ask him for advice about my practice, he, he says, just show up and uh, be friendly with yourself, he says. And, and he reminds us that Dogen, um, founder of our Soto lineage of Zen, called Zen the gateway of repose and bliss, the Dharma gate of joy and ease. So it's been, it's been wonderful to sit here today with all of you, and, I, and I'm really grateful to, for the opportunity to, uh, to be with the Sangha. Um, in the past two years, my, my level of involvement here has been much reduced from uh, previous years. And uh, I'm not ready to say I'm grateful I was so ill, but I am grateful that the ordeal um, seemed to have had some positive effects because I do think getting scoured out 
pushes pushes you out of lethargy or malaise or other ways we might get stuck. And I'm interested in hearing about your experiences. I think it's going to be a long time that we will be considering all the important stories um, that happened during this really interesting time and, and find the, the wisdom that's there for all of us. So now it's time for discussion. Thank you all very much. And Ruben, you'll um, let us know if people raise their hand online. And people in the room, um, it's a little bit hard to see, so maybe raise your hand or speak right up. Nice to see you, Laurel. Um, I can't see you, but it's nice to hear you. It's Nicholas, right? Yes. Yes, it is. It is. And uh, I'm kind of camera shy, so. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let's see. Um, Yeah, I, 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 uh, you know, you mentioned the Sashins that you did, and I did a couple of those with you, and. And so I, uh, obviously I've had some thoughts about them and what I was thinking about and how it related to your talk was that for me, um, because those Sashins were in the Rinzai tradition in such a tightly controlled environment, like it really pushed you like you, you know, you were, I was pushed (laughs) to my limit, which is kind of a good thing and what it's about and so i would come eventually face to face with my poisons um and literally feel like i might die of it you know like whatever it was wanting things to be different you know wanting the pain to go away in my body um you know feeling like i you know wanted to eat or you know drink or whatever it would be but um in that environment, um, everything gets super accelerated and enhanced. And, um, and uh, my mind would eventually, um, or the ego or whatever, you know, there would be this deep, profound sense of death, like that I actually might die right here, right now on this stuff. <laughs> you know, and so... Uh, yeah, so that's that. Those are those thoughts. Um, the other, I'm going to Italy on um, Saturday, so I'm going to be in this travel COVID thing. And, um, you know, you said that it wasn't all bad, and, and I, I, I bet that it'd be kind of a relief to get it, you know, and just feel like okay, I, I survived it, I had it, I'm done, I've gone, you know, I've been shot and I've lived. Um, so maybe there's less fear. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's it. So thank you so much. Nice to see you and hope to see you in person soon. Thank you.
<laughs> Thank you, Nicholas. Safe travels to wherever you're going. I'm going to Sicily. So, Ooh. yeah. So thank you. Okay. Yes. Um, Please speak up. Thank you for your talk, Laurel. I uh, I appreciate that. It made me think, you know, when you talk about your thing being greed, as you described it, I was thinking, for me, that's like, I mean, I, I definitely have been there. I can get into a gaining idea about how, you know, whether it's how I keep my schedule going or think of all the things I want on my schedule or the way I manage my work or uh, my house or a lot of things. And, and it's like sometimes it does feel like I'm just on a roll, that I do one thing and then another thing and, and it begins to feel like I'm not sinking into the meaning of things, I'm more making sure things happen. Or, you know, I'm not into bird watching in the way you are. I like seabirds, but I'm not paying attention to it. But I do that in other ways. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, though, it's like it's interesting because I feel like it's what's made me both successful in some ways in my life even in terms of being able to contribute something at the dragon um, or contribute in other ways it's just it it can get it can run away with you to the point that you're it's all just kind of doing one thing and then the other and you're not in it that's kind of the way i think about it Anyway, I appreciate your talk. It made me think about this clearly, and I think I've been thinking, reflecting on these things more since the pandemic, sure, and thinking about slowing things down a little bit. And then, and then there's kind of feeling lazy if you're just in very nondescript time doing whatever you feel like. Anyway, I just wanted to pass on my thoughts, and I appreciate your talking. Thank you, Kathy. Oh, Jerry. I was thinking about longer sashimis as Nicholas was talking, and I was thinking about practice periods like at Green Gulch or Tassahara, which I've never done. And I was thinking about why, and I've done my fair share of shishins, and I was thinking about why would somebody want to do that? It seems like a, an artificial uh, thing to do. Like you go out of your life somehow, and you go off and you do this thing, and somehow, I don't know, it, 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 it sort of t- removes practice from everyday life. 
in some way. But, and thank you for the talk. After listening to your talk and thinking about the three poisons, you know, I think mine, I think of delusion as this way. Whenever I'm doing something, I think I want to be doing something else. <laughs> no matter what it is, if I'm washing the dishes, I think, oh, you should be making the bed. You know, it's just, it's that sense of whatever is happening should be something else, should be happening now. And, and I remember the, the feeling and when you talked about having COVID and being in bed, the way you described it sounded like what happens after Rishishim. There is that sense of Yeah, there is an emptying out or a scouring out or a, a sense of something is different after the experience. Something is calmer. There's a more sense of an awareness. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily decrease the amount of time I spend thinking, okay, I should be doing something else now. <laughs> but it does make me more aware of it. Hmm and able to manage it because I'm aware of it a little better. And maybe my thought, you know, that to go off to a practice period or a shashin is sort of somehow in artificial is incorrect. And maybe there is some... Maybe that's a valuable thing to do still, which I was thinking. I don't know about correct or incorrect, but there are probably multiple ways to look at it. Is there someone here that has done that that would like to speak to that? Or on Zoom, of course. Done what exactly? I, I didn't understand uh, 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 gone for a long practice period at a place like Green Gulch or Tassajara for multiple weeks or multiple months. Hi, uh, Gershon. This is Tygen. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, is going into uh, formal practice artificial? Uh, somehow other. I did three years at Tassajara. And um, so there's so much I could say, but, and, it, and it's like doing a longer session too. Uh, it might feel, as Jerry was saying, like it's not ordinary everyday activity, but it's a way of actually um, uh, really seeing yourself, it's a kind of enclosure. Um, uh, it's not that, I don't think, it's not that everybody needs to do this, but for those interested, it's available. Um, I had the feeling when I was at Tassajara that it was more my own time than I'd ever experienced, even though there was this very formal schedule and part of the, you know, in a session or in a practice period, part of the teaching is, well, not just the teacher, but the schedule and follow just following the schedule, just doing the next thing. And for me, it was like I didn't have to think, uh, like Jerry was saying, oh, should I be washing the dishes or making the bed or whatever? It's just 
you know, it's on the schedule, you do the next thing. And then there are little, little spaces in the schedule where you can actually just um, have uh, your own free time. But just following the schedule is um, an important part of Sashin or practice period. And it allows you to just not have to think about, figure out what should I be doing now, but just do the next thing and really see how that is for yourself. So uh, that's a little bit about um, those kinds of practices. Thank you. It frees you from the picking and choosing, which takes so much <laughs> energy. Also, Co has her head up. Um, thank you so much for your talk. Um, I really, uh, I, um, I was very struck by your um, the language of the scouring out, and am intrigued by that the scouring is sort of done to you both in session and in illness. And in session, you sort of choose it, you schedule it, you but illness comes upon you, mm-hmm. and. Um, and to speak to the other question about retreats, I've, I've been to Tassajara, one practice period and two at Green Gulch. And it's a combination of the sashins or the Tangario going in, which is very scouring. And one of the nice things about the longer period is then you're there with um, a freshness, there, the freshness that follows that scouring out. Um, and I also wanted to ask you to say more about your perception of the scouring out, how did you perceive and receive that? And how did you move after that scouring? You mean just recently when I was sick? Yeah. Or in sessions in the past. Yeah, I think, I think, I wanted to hold on to it. And the more I wanted to hold on to it, the more it faded, you know, because then I was using whatever part of my brain or whatever organ it is that does that. Uh, You know, it it was almost something else to grasp after because this feeling of, I use the word relief. I mean, it, it, it really is a relief to not have that energy pumping all the time. And uh, so I did, I liked that. Um, in fact, I thought, oh, maybe I just won't eat for a week. You know, I mean, I was crazy. I just like, <laughs> thought of other things I could do. But of course, I didn't do any of that. But um yeah, so I did I did want to hold on to it, but then, you know, you have your life. I didn't stay then in my apartment and not talk to people. I just got back to all of the things that I do, like go to the grocery store and um, respond to email messages. And I had a lot of laundry to do <laughs> because of the trip and, and so on. And, uh, you know, it's like a mist. It just disperses and it just, dis- it did. And so, but I felt like writing this talk, I think that was part of trying to hold on to it, trying to name it, trying to 
trying to um, put some definition to it. I have no idea if I've succeeded or failed. I feel like I gave it my best shot. <laughs> but as I mentioned, you know, I had planned to do this talk about this wonderful book. It is such a brainy book. I mean, really brainy. A lot of thinking, really uh, serious. I couldn't begin to go there. I just, I was like, what? <laughs> I just, it was like I, I don't know, I, I just was not equipped. I, I had started reading it earlier and I loved it. And I'm sure I will finish it eventually, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it last week. So I wrote this talk instead. <laughs> I don't know if that's responsive, but thank you for your question. Other, yes, Brian. Yeah, this is such a great topic. Um, I'm, th I'm thinking about how we're we're talking in part about um, either illness or session as these kind of, in, in a sense, a kind of extreme experience that takes it outside of our normal habits of mind and, and activity. And I'm also interested in, in how that emptying or scouring or freedom from drivenness and, and that energy you talk about, how that happens in the midst of daily life. And Zazen helps with that because that's a, it's a half hour or whatever we do of, of that uh, experience. But I'm maybe even more interested in the in-betweenness, you know, or, or during, while we're doing things. I mean, what, what is our brain doing when we're doing dishes? Are we trying to get them done as soon as possible so we can get on the next thing, or are we actually emptied out and sort of a sense of scouring or, or just aware that we're, we're not emptying out while we're doing it. And, and what do we do between one activity and the other? Do we maybe stare out the window for 20 minutes uh, or do we rush to the next thing? And, and how do we drive our car and, and what's it like to sit on the bus and walk down the street or whatever? I mean, it's, that's where it's, for me, harder is to bring awareness and, and be open to the experience of emptying out in the midst of activity. Uh, and to me, that's where the most challenging practice is. To not separate it into these special times where we get completely emptied out. Mm -hmm. but <clears throat> it's not easy. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's not easy. And I don't know the answer to the question of whether, you know, does it, does a small amount of transformation stay permanent? Nothing stays permanent. <laughs> I know the answer to that. Uh, does some, a small amount of it last longer? How about that? Uh, I don't, I don't know. It, it's certainly, you know, I remember when my daughter was born, I had never felt such euphoria in my life. If I could hold on to that, I thought, for just, I don't know, a little bit longer. So wonderful. But I didn't know what it was because I remember it. So that has to have some effect, right? That has to have some, I don't know. I don't know. Tygen, you're the teacher. What's the answer? Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
I think the answer is to keep looking and asking and questioning what's going on. And, uh, you know, I appreciated Brian's uh, comments. We're, um, you know, we're a non-residential Sangha. We don't have uh, the, the context to do long retreats or practice periods. I've actually, I'll, I'll say that we're hoping to do a practice study intensive in the fall, but uh, it's, um, but the everydayness, as Brian was saying, is, is where we see um, what's our awareness and how do we get caught by it and how do we open up into it? So, yeah, it's, I appreciate this topic. Thank you, Gish. Paula has her hand up. Paula. Hello, everybody. Um, I think the longer periods of practice going away and being in a monastic setting is part of the ways it helps us then negotiate in our normal lives. Um, Because I found a couple of things that realizing what relaxation is, most of us think we know how to be relaxed. But for me personally, until you remove yourself from your normal routine or normal life, it's hard to get a clue of what relaxation actually means. And the schedule in the monastery helps to helps a person experience that because all that noise and all that decision-making is taken off your plate. And then you're usually in a nicer setting too, uh, a setting that's conducive to relaxation and, and that clearing away, you know, because we know it's not just relaxation. It's also an awareness within that relaxation. So I think the, the, the residential practice, if you can do it, also helps you get more familiar with that clearing away where you're inhabiting that space for longer periods of time in that practice. So for my, for my personal experience and, and Laurel, it kind of goes back to what you were saying. It depends on the personality for me. It takes at least, and I've only done the intensive, which is three weeks. I, I still have not had the courage to do the two or three months, you know, cause I know myself too well, <laughs> but it takes at least a week to really settle down and feel that clearing away. And then when that happens, I usually get kind of a little depressed because I'm missing my normal life. And I know I don't put too much weight on it because I know it's just a passing feeling, but then I can inhabit that clearing away. So really, there's only maybe a week that I'm inhabiting the clearing away, but it took two weeks to get to that point. So I can only imagine what two or three months might feel like, which I'm hoping to experience at some time. But with that being said, then when you go out, and Peter Coyote said this, Tygen, when he was here doing stuff, when you go back to your normal life, it's not that you could stay in that clearing away or that relaxed awareness or whatever it is but the more familiar you the more familiar you become with it the more it interweaves through your normal life it's not that you could stay there but you've scratched it enough times that it's easy to scratch it and there it comes again in the middle of your normal life um 
And I found that comment very helpful as well, because sometimes we can beat ourselves up like, well, I remember feeling so calm and aware. And how come I can't do that anymore? It's there. And Tigan always says it's a process. So I'm sure all of these experiences kind of mix together, like I'm picturing a cement mixer. And depending <laughs> on the variables of your life, they either arise or they don't. Um, but Gyoshin, thank you so much for that talk because it brought up a lot of stuff for me as well. I'm definitely um, an anger and hatred person. For the point. <laughs> <laughs> I should <laughs> People I like realize. the idea of scratching, Paula. You can <laughs> scratch it. I'm going to keep that image in my mind when I need to scratch. <laughs> but thank you. I think I think that's all I have. <laughs> thank you. Are there other comments? We're probably close to time, but if there's any other brief comment. <clears throat> Because we're, ha because we're having uh, this half-day sitting, we will not have a service during this period. We will uh, have the four vows, and um, then we'll have announcements, and then um, we'll bid our um, friends farewell on Zoom, and we'll have our service at the end of the morning. So... Um, uh, I guess we'll do the four vows now, which um, Ruben will put. Um, Excuse me. Excuse yes. me. I'm sorry, but Anastasia had her hand up. Oh, I'm sorry. Anastasia. Hi. Um, I actually, I don't think we have enough time, but I was actually curious about your perspective of the, uh, the three, because I, so, so someone's talked a little bit about uh, delusion and anger and, well, you called it, I guess, greed or well, greed. But I'm wondering in terms of how they would manifest, um, how you, what you're seeing of them, how they would manifest. And obviously it's going to manifest differently for different people. But I was just curious of your take on how they might show up uh, for differently for different people. Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not sure I can say very briefly. Um, I would recommend reading um, that sermon. I believe it's called the sermon, the fire sermon, because, um, and I'm sure it's easily found online because he does go into each of these, I call them afflictions sometimes rather than poisons. Um, and um, and gives examples. And of course, the examples are from 2,500 years ago, but they're, they're still very uh, relevant examples. I'm sorry, I think we don't have time for much longer discussion about that, but thank you for your question. Maybe that's another good talk to have sometime soon. If thank I you, might. Asia. Yoshin, if I might, uh, this is Tygen. Yes, this is good. not this is not exactly Anastasia's question, but there are traditionally antidotes for each of the three. So for greed, um, that can or maybe not antidotes, but uh, well, there's antidotes too. But there's also a transformed aspect. So for greed, that can transform into devotion. For anger types, that can transform into clear insight uh, for 
confusion or t uh, types that uh, can transform and be, be helped by uh, precise analytical thinking. So there, there are ways of responding to each of these poisons. So just to say that. Yes, and I think one of the antidotes to greed that the Buddha recommended was generosity. Um, yes. I, don't, I don't remember the other two. Just pay attention to my problem. <laughs> um, so we'll do the four vows. Greetings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma-dates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. I vow to 